everyone and welcome to another episode of Freight to the Point. My name is Alex Hersham. I'm CEO and co-founder of Zencargo. And I'm delighted to be joined today by Lars Jensen, who is founder and partner at Vespucci Maritime. Lars has decades of experience, I think 21 years plus of experience in the maritime industry. And I'm delighted to have Lars on the show today. Welcome, Lars. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks so much for, for coming on, Lars. You and I have known each other for actually a long time now. I think it's going on 10 years. Um, and so I'm delighted to have you on the show. I want to speak about what next year is going to look like. And uh, I think it's actually going to be quite an interesting and challenging year. Are we on track to go back to normalization next year? Is that the direction we're heading in? The very short answer is actually no. Uh, whilst I know everybody would be yearning for some type of stability and normality, that's not what I'm seeing. What I would rather liken this to, let's, let's go back a couple of years when we were hit by the pandemic. We kept hearing this phrase that uh, soon we're going to be out of the tunnel. And every time we thought that was the case, it was just another train oncoming towards us. So then we had the Suez blockage, China shutting down. What I would like in 2023 with is we are actually getting out of the tunnel now. Unfortunately, we're coming out of the tunnel only to discover that the bridge we go on to has collapsed. So 2023 is going to be a very challenging year as well, but with different challenges than what we've seen the past couple of years. The bridge that we're coming onto has collapsed. That's an exciting way to look into 2023. Do you mind elaborating on that a little bit? Yeah, because uh, you can say everybody knew that the extremely high freight rates we've seen over the last 18 months would eventually come to an end. I mean, that was driven by shortage of capacity, which again was caused by all the bottlenecks in the supply chain. The bottlenecks are gradually being resolved. They're not resolved yet, but they're gradually being resolved. So rates should come crashing down at some point in time back to normal. That's the end of the tunnel. That's actually where we're going. But the dark clouds on the horizon now are different in nature. We are very likely in the early stages of a relatively large global recession, driven by inflation, increasing energy costs, massive concerns amongst a lot of consumers in terms of geopolitical tension. And we are also very likely right now in the early phases of a major inventory correction, especially in the US to some degree in Europe as well. That will cause potentially a significant decline in container demand volumes over the coming months. So that's what I mean by the bridge is out. This doesn't mean it's a permanent state of affairs, but it means we're going to go into a very hard landing coming down from the peaks of the last two years. So we're going to get a lot of capacity unleashed because the bottlenecks are being resolved and we get a lot of new ships coming in. And at the same time, a massive drop temporarily in demand. Uh, if we get into this massive recession scenario, best case is that this is going to last, say, quarter one, maybe a bit into quarter two. And then we're going to get a rebound during peak season. That would be best case. But that would still leave 2023 as an extremely volatile period. And before anybody out there who actually then procures freight becomes too happy and say, well, this is fantastic. My freight rates are going to go through the floor. I'm going to save a lot of money. One thing to keep in mind is if this is really the scenario we're looking at, it would also mean you should prepare for massive cancellations of services out there, blank sailings and outright complete abolitions of a lot of the services. So the physical integrity of the network will not really be there. So yeah, freight rates will get a lot lower, 
but supply chain stability will not follow as a consequence. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think whenever the pendulum swings either to one end or to the other, things tend to overshoot. Um, and I think there could be a lot of overshooting that happens, whether it's about inventory flows, whether it's about um, capacity coming online and, and how people react. It's interesting, though, because when, when we first met um, a decade ago, it was the beginning of the trend of slow steaming and the, and the, and the very large container ships and um, that whole trend. It doesn't really feel like slow steaming is a real option to effectively reduce capacity further because, well, most people are doing it already. Does slow steaming have a role to play next year? And, th and then we'll come on to the sort of inventory flows. But I think people sometimes rely on slow steaming coming to the savior. To some degree, it does. To some degree, slow steaming is going to play a role here, both in 23 and 24. But that is more from the perspective that we get the new IMO 2023 environmental regulations that places uh, strict requirements on the fuel efficiency of the vessels which in all likelihood is going to force carriers to go slower with quite a number of the vessels. It's not going to solve the imminent problem, but it is going to absorb a significant part of the new capacity that's coming on stream over the next couple of years. And up until now, slow steaming is always the balance between what's the fuel cost and what's the vessel cost. If I slow steam, I save fuel, but I need more vessels. So it's always an economic trade-off. And that's where the environmental regulations skew that equation a bit because suddenly you've got these requirements and that could lead you to go even more to slow steaming that we've seen before. But as mentioned, that's going to be more a structural impact over 23 and 24, but it's not going to help if we get this inventory correction now. Uh, that will still lead to massive cancellations of sailing. Slow steaming cannot help that situation. Okay, that's really interesting. And I want to come back and look at holistically the carrier's response, slow steaming as part of it, sailings cancellations, blank sailings is another part. You know, a lot of the shipping lines have actually bought quite a lot of tonnage over the past couple of years. So um, what does that mean in terms of scrapping is another part, delaying container ships coming online. There's all these sort of levers that can be pulled and we can speak about it. But why don't we start with the most important part of the conversation, which is we're obviously in the middle of a destocking environment. Actually, on, on our end, I've been seeing it since earlier this year. I've been seeing some verticals wake up in January and February of this year, which seems like an awful long time ago from an economic environment, mm. and look at their warehouses and say, wow, we really don't have space. We should, we should be slowing down ordering. And so it feels like we are probably already, on average, more than a quarter into a destocking environment. And when I look back, it tends to be two or three quarters, probably three quarters that, that destocking goes on for. Maybe you can share your thoughts on where we are in that cycle, what happens in destocking cycles, and we can look back at past economic environments as well. Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, I would rather put the peg in at August because that's where in earnest we begin to see some of the major demand data show a significant decline. And that's, of course, measured at origin, which is why it's only now you're beginning to see that data pop up and say port handling in the US or in Europe because of the time lag in there. So I see a destocking that de facto began already uh, back in August. And if that's loading volumes in August, that's to some degree decisions made in July. So, so that's part of what we see. If we look in, in past history, the best learning point we can get is actually go to go 20 years back. Because if you look at the first half of uh, 2001, you had an inventory-led recession in the US. It was a peculiar one 
because consumers kept buying, but you had a massive destocking exercise in Q1 and Q2. That led container volumes to decline sharply. Then you had 9-11 towards the end of 2001. So everybody thought, well, this is never going to be good and volumes are going to be in the doldrums. And peak season 2002 had something like 20% demand growth on the Pacific. Because what you then see if you look into what happens in a destocking environment, sure, you get a massive drop in demand while it goes on. But once you reach the point where you want to be with the inventories, then you get, you can say, a huge wave of cargo all of a sudden. Because now you need to ramp up to get back to normal flow. And that is also what we should expect this time around. We're going to see a massive drop in demand. But the moment that we get to the point where inventories have been reduced to where we want them to be, and the consumers are fairly satisfied that the worst is behind us in terms of the recession, we are likely going to see yet another tsunami of uh, demand. And that's also why I said that we could have a 2023 that could be extremely volatile. If we're slightly optimistic, we could actually have a massive demand surge already in peak season 2023. And when you talk about peak season, because I think getting into sort of quarters of the year and starting to think about it that way, are, are, can, can you run me through, you know, Q4, we're already into it, Q1, Q2, Q3, just sort of how you see it playing out? Because I think that will really speak to the potential for volatility. Yes. I mean, what, what I see playing out here is we would normally, I, I would even talk months and not quarters, Normally, you see this run-up in volumes before Chinese New Year. Chinese New Year 23 comes very early. It already comes middle of January. So under normal circumstances, we should actually see a ramp up in seasonal volumes, basically from early December. That gives us the first cue on what's going to go on here. If we get very weak sales coming up on Black Friday and all the other sales, it is highly unlikely we're going to see that surge. So we're going to have a very weak December, very weak lead up to Chinese New Year. And my expectation is the market is going to bottom out. That will then be February, March in the wake of Chinese New Year. If we then get the inventory destocking done, and again, if this recession doesn't linger on for all of 2023, that's a separate issue. But if it doesn't, then we're getting into the point where the importers will start to feel confident in the beginning of Q2. And you would likely see this massive surge of demand taking place then July, August, September. That's interesting. So let, let's talk about the economic environment because there was a big if in that statement. For me, I, I look at it and I slightly disconnect the two and maybe I'm wrong in doing so. I say to myself, if we take your sort of line in the sand date of August and we add six to nine months, that's sort of February or a quarter after that, um, in a, in a period of time where it's typically, to your point, the largest you know months of imports, I look at it and say, by February, March, April, importers likely would be down to bare bones in terms of inventory, even if the economic environment is still challenging, even if we're in a technical recession and household uh, net disposable income is, is, is going down or flatlined. Um, it still feels like when you come to April um, or, or you know March, April, May next year, the importers will be in a position where they've overshot, have too little inventory, and maybe the economic environment isn't all rosy, but they're definitely no longer going through sort of flash sales and they're worried about their inventory levels. Is that too optimistic, even if the economic environment is still challenging? I would take it as slightly too optimistic because there's an added element here if we compare to previous destocking. The supply chain right now is two months longer than what it normally is. That's due to all the bottlenecks. 
if you look at the beginning of this year, it, usual transportation times from Asia to North America was about 110 days versus the normal 45 days. So we should really add a couple of months on top of the normal destocking process. So, so that's an element I think we should take into account as well. Part of this is already beginning to be resolved. We are down to 80 plus days or so, but that's still a month longer than usual. And this is still going to be piling in. Should all of the importers have taken this into account when they started their destocking? In theory, yes. Have, has that been done in practice? I don't think so. Interesting. So you're saying that next year, it is likely to be slow leading up to Chinese New Year. It's likely to be sluggish post-Chinese New Year, which it normally is anyway. Although you, you tend to have a mini peak after Chinese New Year because things that were bottlenecked before are still trying to sort of get out, if that makes sense. And then you enter this annual tender season, which for some large BCOs has already started, but for the majority of the market tends to, you know, people tend to sort of wake up after Chinese New Year and start to look at it and go out to tender, especially if you're sort of, you know, sub 20,000 TEU in terms of volumes and you're already looking at the market. It feels like a lot of people will be going to tender at a point in time where demand is low and, and capacity is starting to come on stream. That seems risky if you're then saying that towards the back half of the year, we're going to start to see a, a mini surge in demand. Yes. Uh, this is going to be an extremely challenging environment to come up with agreements that will actually last because reality will be a lot of these contracts will be negotiated at an environment that is dominated by two factors. You're going to have oversupply at that time due to the structural factors. And you're going to have, we already have that now, a massive emotional backlash from a lot of the shippers that feel shortchanged over the last couple of years. So in all likelihood, you're going to see a lot of contracts signed at suddenly extremely low rates. And if we then get this surge in peak season, lo and behold, what's going to happen? You're going to find yourself unable to actually get space on that contract unless you pay premium rates. This is going to be a complete déjà vu of what we've seen, not just over the last two years, but over the last 25 years, very much like what we're also seeing now. We are seeing a lot of the contracts that were signed in the beginning of 2022. They are no longer enforceable, and a lot of these contracts are being amended already now. And if we get that surge in 23, now you might be happy with the contract you get in early 23, but then you're going to be unable to move a lot of volume on it unless you pay premium surcharges. That's just going to be the reality. Uh, the reintroduction of the peak season surcharge, it's going, to be, it's going to be interesting. In terms of, you talked about overcapacity. Obviously, the first leg of overcapacity comes from the normalization of bottlenecks, which brings back effective capacity. The second leg comes from new capacity coming on stream. If you're, if you're a shipping line today, which one are you more worried about? Are you more worried about the bottlenecks reducing or are you worried about the order book coming on stream or, or, or should you be worried about both? No, I would tend to see them as uh, under one hat and that would not be my key worry. My key worry would be the imminent demand drop if we get this uh, major inventory correction. That would really be my chief concern. Uh, let me put it that way. Okay, so then so you're, you're worried about this demand drop. Do you think shipping lines are seeing it the way that we're describing it today where the next six months are going to be challenging and then you know, it could be significantly challenging and then there might be a restocking. So are they thinking about it in terms of a six-month window or are they thinking about it in terms of a longer horizon? That is a good question. I haven't seen the carriers really come out with strong views on how they see that. For now, at least that's my sense of it. 
I think most of the carriers of the mind that, yes, it's going to be down to normal, but this is somewhat manageable through capacity management. So again, your blank sailings, part slow steaming because of IMO 2023, which in the longer run is actually a, a view I agree with, but I, that's not what I see for the tactical play out here over the next six to eight months, that you're going to see a very hard landing that the carriers are going to be unable to, to really manage in a, in a good way. And so what's it going to look like for the next couple of quarters? You know, how It feels like we've already seen quite a few blank sailings, but it feels like you're saying you ain't seen nothing yet kind of thing. How does that look from your perspective? I was perspective? about to say exactly that. Yeah, you, you are going to see a lot more blank sailings. The challenge here is if you're comparing on a year-on-year basis, last year uh, in Q4, nominally you had a lot of capacity on Asia, Europe, and on Trans-Pacific, but in reality a lot of that capacity was not available because you had a lot of blank sailings back then. Blank sailing Q4 last year, that was because of the physical unavailability of ships. They were caught in the bottlenecks. Right now, if you look at what is the planned capacity on Trans-Pacific and Asia Europe, Asia North Europe right now, if you start to look at November, December, you're looking at year-on-year capacity growth of 15 20%. Uh, Pacific, not all of Pacific, but into the U.S. West Coast, you're looking at 30 40% capacity growth year on year. And that's not because the carriers suddenly right now have started a lot of new services. That's more a reflection of how much capacity was de facto unavailable last year. Yeah. But it still means you are going to have a massive amount of capacity that needs to be taken out. It's going to be a challenging environment. Um, it's actually interesting because when you have an environment of blank sailings, the trust in the supply chain from other stakeholders inside of a business goes down naturally because it's harder to predict. It's harder to sort of have concrete inventory flows. So I'm really trying to sort of get into the psychology of an importer come the end of Q1 or sometime in Q2 when they look at their inventory levels, maybe they've overshot, maybe they're back to normal, wherever it might be. But the sort of lack of trust in the supply chain because of all these challenges, again, it sort of speaks to this environment um, maybe being overly optimistic, but it sort of speaks to this environment summer next year and, and, and sort of going into Q4 of um, chasing inventory again to some capacity, although to your point, it does very much rely on the economic outlook. So if you're a shipper today, you know, we've heard about all these risks. We haven't really spoken that much about other risks, you know, additional strikes. You've spoken in the past before you've been quite outspoken mm. on cyber attacks. There's a lot of things happening that, that could move the needle. How, how should we be thinking about them? I mean, the, the way you should think about them is that, that there is quite simply a very large element of unpredictability. So from a shipper perspective, I mean, yeah, you, you're right. Part of the risk is when you get past the U.S. midterm election, the risk of a strike on the U.S. West Coast increases significantly. They don't have a deal yet. The cyber attacks are still very much a risk out there. There is a an increasing likelihood that over the next 12 to 18 months, you're going to see the breakup and of the alliance structure and new alliances reforming, which would also change all of the network structures. Uh, the way you should look at this from a shipper perspective is you cannot predict any of this with certainty. So the likelihood that you're going to see major operational disruptions and delays in your supply chain is almost a given. So anybody that contemplates reverting back to normality also means now we can do just-in-time logistics. Well, that is a long time coming. This is more about contingency planning. It's about keeping your options open and do what quite a lot of shippers, frankly, do. Don't put all the eggs in one basket. 
I mean, have multiple carriers ideally spread across alliances to have options because you're going to need options. All right. Let's move into a quick fire question environment, talking about shipper choices. So uh, I'm going to ask you a couple of quick fire questions and you know, let, let, let's see how your answers come in. So first question is around contracting next year. If you were a shipper, would you go for a fixed rate contract or an index link contract? If I'm negotiating in the early part of the year, that depends a little bit. <laughs> I'm already waffling here. You know? No, there, there are two things here. If I'm really cutthroat, obviously, I would want to lock in a fixed price at the early part of the year. The potential upside with that is if you don't get the upsurge in peak season, but all 2023 is weak, fantastic. You get a good rate for all of 23. Good for you. The risk you're running is if you do get the peak season surge, you're going to find yourself unable to book any volume on those contract rates. And then all bets are off in terms of what the premium will be. That's basically the risk you're running. Okay. Not necessarily the most direct answer, but I hear you. It's complicated. It's nuanced. Um, second question, is what we're going through unprecedented? Or to your point, is it just following history and you know rhyming in a certain way? The underlying dynamics we see is exactly the same as we've seen in other cycles. We've seen the same in the cycle around the financial crisis. We saw the same, as I said, in the inventory correction way back in 2001, 2002, the underlying mechanism of unenforceable contracts. We've seen that time and time and time again. So from that perspective, I was about to say this is business as usual. However, what is clearly unprecedented is the sheer magnitude of the swing we have seen this time. The last question is around, obviously, different carriers have had different strategies. Some have really tried to own more of the customer relationship without sort of getting into getting into names. Um, and it's, it might sound obvious, but there's been a few that's tried to have that strategy. And you've spoken about the potential for alliances to break up. That could make it a very interesting environment for some of those carriers that specifically disenfranchise some of their forwarders. Am I being too sort of simplistic in the way that I think there? Or, or is that a real risk? No, that, that is to some degree a risk. There are a couple of nuances here. There's the carrier-carrier interactions, and then there's the carrier-shipper interactions. And the carrier-shipper interactions, there are clearly carriers to some degree that have alienated some of the shippers over the last few years, to put it diplomatically. And there are carriers that have tried more to at least, I wouldn't say keep customers happy. I'm not sure you find any customers that have been happy over the last two years, but at least try to mitigate some of all the disruptions that we've seen. And that's, of course, also going to play itself out in the environment we go into now in terms of how loyal are the customers, how cutthroat are they going to be in constantly renegotiating rates down. But what I think is more interesting is the play out between the carriers going forward. Uh, you were mentioning it yourself. Some carriers have massive order books. And I think a good starting point here is have a look at MSC. I mean, MSC has now taken the mantle as the world's largest carrier, but they're clearly not content with that. Their order book is almost 40% of their fleet right now. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to grow 40%. They could re-deliver some of their charter tonnage. But if we go down this path, that means within a couple of years, MSC reaches a size. Technically, they're going to be as large as MSC and Musk were combined back when they formed the 2M Alliance. It also means that MSC, the way I see it, is proceeding down a path where ultimately they want to go it alone. They're going to be large enough to field a truly global competitive network. Good for MSC, but that then ups the ante because if you are then Musk, where does that lead you? That leads Musk alone. Can Musk field a global network? Sure they can. I mean, they did it before 2M. That's not the right question. The question is, how competitive will that network be? They will be up against a much larger MSC and they'll be up against the two other alliances. That will leave Musk as a distant fourth cousin in this uh, 
global competitive environment, clearly not an attractive position. And I'm not sure that Musk finds that attractive either. So they have clearly a strategic impetus to try to find a new partner and break up one or two of the other alliances. So you're going to see a lot of shakeup here over the next couple of years. That's really interesting. And, and, and I don't know it well enough from a shipping line perspective, but I think that's probably a hard question as to whether you want to be an alliance partner with Maersk or not, given given their strategy and how that could play out. I, I really don't have a strong view on it, but I think it's um, I think it's a difficult and nuanced question. Um, well, listen, Lars, thank you so much for joining this episode of Freight to the Point. Um, you know, you're, you really are a true expert and somebody that can really help us look back to prior cycles. I think next year is going to be very challenging. I think the message that you delivered around Q1 might make everything look rosy if you're an importer um, from a from a rate negotiation perspective, but it is going to be nuanced and we could see a large upswing towards the back half of the year. That's definitely what we've been saying um, when we've been guiding customers. Um, so thank you very much for sharing your thoughts and your experience and, and the history with us. Um, and thank you again to all of our listeners for joining on this episode. Uh, and we hope to see you soon. Lars, thank you very much once again. My pleasure being here. Thank you, everyone.